looking at the Word this morning with you. So let's do that. Thanks so much, you guys. Father, we pray that you would uh, just attention our hearts to your Word this morning and give us insight into, God, uh, why you brought us together as a church um, and uh, what we can learn this morning out of Ephesians. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we can change. I want to talk about change this morning, just for a few minutes. And I believe the church's job is to inspire deep, inward, lasting change in people. It's putting on the new self. That's the, the, the title for this morning. In Psychology Today, uh, there was an article that indicated that 90% of change attempts to stop bad habits or even follow uh, through in a process like a New Year's uh, resolution will fail. 90%. That seems really high, doesn't it? I mean, we have good intentions, and yet uh, it's hard to sustain change in our lives. And one reason for that, it went on to talk about, is that people have very unrealistic goals. It's the kind of goals that we are setting. Are we setting appropriate goals? that will actually bring about the right, or do we know what we really need to change, is kind of what it's saying. Um, there's all sorts of things. I mean, you could read the article yourself. Um, we tend to overestimate oftentimes our abilities and underestimate the challenge. Isn't that true? I can take care of this. It's not that big of a deal. We, I can do it. But, but people don't know what to actually change. That's the problem and how to do lasting change. And that's what I want to talk about out of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, which I think out of all the passages in the New Testament, this is the one passage that I would teach on if someone were to ask me, okay, how do you really bring about lasting change into someone's life? In my life, how am I actually going to change? This passage of all passages brings me full clarity in terms of what it's really going to take. And I'm going to look at four things with you this morning. And so I'm going to try to move quickly through the introduction to leave more time for uh, these four things that I think bring about lasting change in our lives. We've been in a series on the church. And uh, it's been a great series. I hope that you've been focusing in on asking the question each week, what is being spoken of that will help me become more uh, uh, committed, connected in the life of the church because the church is the only institution on earth that Jesus blessed. The only institution. It's it. Jesus looked out and said, this is what I want to build. It's my people together to become like me to have an influence on in the world. So it's really important that we understand what it is the church is about and how we can be the church. I mean, really be the church. Set aside traditions. Set aside hurts and the failures of the church and all the rest of it. We are, we are looking at what God's Word says in the New Testament about the, the key characteristics of the church that you make up. We're part of the church because you're here. It's not a building. It's not some organization that is established whether people join or not. It is people. When people come together, 
it's the church, it's a family. And so Taylor started it off, uh, off many weeks ago and looked at Matthew 16, that upon this confession of faith in Matthew 16 of Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so it's the solid rock of confession in that Jesus is the living Christ, the son of the living God that the church was built. <clears throat> and it's a foundation. It's something solid. Jesus wants to build that. Then I looked at in Ephesians chapter 2 that the church is a family. That in the first century, isn't it interesting that the brother and sister relationship was even a stronger bond than marriage in the first century. And Paul goes back to that idea to help us understand that you and I are brothers and sisters in a faith, in a family that has come together, a, real, a family that is formed by brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and there's a bond there. There's a commitment. We care about one another. We go after each other when we're hurting or we have a tough time. The rockers need us. They need a family right now. And to separate from that family is to be separated from the very bond that God has given to us. And then James did a fantastic job the next week out of Romans chapter 12 of describing that you belong. There's a place for you that's very unique to you even if you're broken, even if you fail, even if you don't do it really well. I like that message, James. It, was, it, it helped me frame this idea that we are all unique and talented, and yet it also gave me the understanding that sometimes I don't do it really well. But you know what? There's a lot of grace, and the grace covers us. Then uh, Taylor came back and did Galatians, and I'm giving you an overview I mean, so I hope that you're going, I want to go back and listen to all those. Galatians, I took really good notes. Galatians was all about freedom. Remember that? That we are free to love others. That there's, there's not, that we're not under this bondage, this, this, this self-justification. We are free now in Christ, not to self-justify ourselves, but to live out that grace, which is to love people. And it is an interesting that the best way to handle self-justification and living out the flesh is to love somebody else. It gets your mind off yourself and thinking you're better than somebody else or what you really want, your kind of personal desires, you set them aside because you love somebody else. It works. It really works. And then this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at... Uh, uh, 17 to 24, and we're going to talk about what lasting change. The church exists to inspire deep and inward lasting change in people. And so let's look at that. Set within the center of this Ephesians letter, I can't possibly cover everything that Paul talks about in this amazing letter, but it's written in such a way that there are several things that are true of you in the first three chapters, and then four, five, and six... The last three chapters, it's how we live that out. So what's true of you in Christ, and then how do you live that out? The indicative and the imperative. That's the way Ephesians is structured, how it's organized. And within this now imperative of how we live based upon the fact that we are in Christ, we have a new identity, we've been, we're, we're, we're now been, literally been born by grace out of death. All these things have been tr are now true of us. Here's how we live our lives. 
And in the middle of that, he begins this series of walking. So five times he says, walk. Walk in love. Walk in unity. Walk in maturity. We're going to walk as wise people. Walk in the light. And right in the middle of all these, here's how to walk or walk out your faith. By the way, walk is not just taking a walk. It's the conduct of your life. The word walk in the New Testament, when you see that word, you'll see it five times in this section. It means the, the priority of your life, the conduct, the morality of your life, the way in which you conduct your life. How do you conduct your life? How do you live out your life is your walk. And right in the middle, Paul describes how we change. And here it is. So verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. That you walk, there it is, no longer as the Gentiles walk. And the Gentiles not being just a classification of people as a race, but it's referring to the kind of person a Gentile was. Somebody separated from God, living apart from God, living based upon their own desires. So it's somebody with a mindset that's totally different from a person that has a biblical mindset. They're, they're, they're in it for themselves. Life is before you, and you better do the best job you can of grabbing all you can because that's all there is. It's a mindset as a Gentile. Don't walk in the, the, the way of the Gentile in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. People live apart from God because they have made up their minds that they're going to do it their own way. It goes all the way back to the original sin. And in doing so, it kind of calluses them. It hardens their way of thinking. And then, have you ever, know, have you ever noticed that? You're talking to somebody, trying to introduce them to the world of faith and God and his existence and all of his goodness and what he's done in Christ, and there's just hardness. It's just like, it's, there's, a callous, there's a callousness. It's because this has happened over time, and it's the futility of their minds. They've now, they're now living in that realm because of the hardness of the heart. They haven't become callous given themselves over to sensuality and practices of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you, but you, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Notice the contrast here. But you did not learn Christ in this way, verse 20. In 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, then in the reference to your former manner of life, everyone's had a former manner of life. Every single person here, we've all had a, man, a former manner of life. In that, in that way of thinking, a former manner of life, which being corrupted in the accordance with the lust of deceit, that you be renewed now in the spirit of your mind, there's the word mind again, futility of the mind of the Gentiles. Now, in the new, for, new self, there's a spirit of renewal in the mind. And put on the new self, so you're laying aside the old self. You're putting on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in the righteousness, holiness, and truth. So in this passage, Paul is describing how to lay aside one life and put on a new life, how to change. And he's talking about four different things, and we're going to look at that. 
First of all, it's transformational. This kind of change really happens deep within. It's transformational. Then I want to talk about the fact that it's, it's, it, it's done through the process of examination. You have to examine your life. Then you reorient your life, and then you're filled with the Spirit. And those four things have to happen in order to bring about lasting change in your life. And Paul talks about this idea that I just want to touch on briefly, and then I'm going to touch on each one of these. Transformation, examination, uh, reorientation, and the Spirit-filled life. Those are the four things that you need to do in order to bring about lasting change in your life. But it's this idea of laying aside an old self, an old way of thinking, an old way of life to put on a new way. That idea in the New Testament is literally about putting off, taking off clothes and putting on new clothes. So you're working all day in the yard and you've got a pair of jeans on and a shirt and some boots and you're just, you're shoveling dirt and digging holes and, and you're covered and thorns and whatever else and leaves and you're just covering dirt your hands are all dirty and uh my wife says okay we're uh we're gonna we're going out to dinner in 30 minutes so i gotta what do i gotta do i gotta stop what i'm doing run in discard all of my clothes take a quick shower and put on a new set of clothes i'm changing a lot of things here what I was doing to what I'm now going to do requires laying aside something that's no longer useful for the new situation that I'm going into. Does that make sense? But it goes even deeper than that. It's like, I remember this one time I was down in PBC and I, and I was down with my family and we were playing volleyball and having a barbecue and, and it was an evening and I remember uh, I was down the beach a bit from where the fire was and I turned around and there was a skunk heading right toward me, a skunk. He was chasing me. And I still, to this day, remember, I think I turned into one, remember the kid from The Incredibles and how fast he could run? I think I was running that fast. I just took off so fast, I outran the skunk that was chasing me, because I knew, because I knew, do not get sprayed by a skunk. And the thing that's interesting is if I had gotten sprayed by the skunk, what do you do? You don't just take off your clothes. You're not going to put them back on, ever. Ever. They get burned. You burn them. You throw them away. It's that intense of a situation. That's what we're talking about. Have you made the change from taking off what it is is your old life, old way of thinking, old way of doing things to a new life? That's what we're talking about. This is deep inward change. How do we do it? Number one, it, it's, it's, the, it's transformational. And in this passage in 4.17, it says that we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. The futility of their mind refers to the fact that the, it was the way in which they perceived life. It was their mind your mind influences the way in which you live. So we're getting at something really deep. This is not about changing a habit. This is not about uh, uh, a particular small thing in your life that you want to make some small changes in. This is talking about complete, radical, transformational change. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
And in doing so, it involves the mind. Descartes was famous for saying, a philosopher saying, res cogitans. And res cogitans means we are thinking things. We are, that's who we are. We think. We exist and therefore we create ourselves by our way of thinking. But James Smith wrote an interesting book many years ago, You Are What You Love. And he says it starts at a deeper level. You might say, well, I just wait, change the way I think. I'm going to start acting differently. Yes, that's true. But something deeper than thinking is what you love. Because what you think about is what you love. And you have to change what it is that you're thinking about, which means you literally need to change what you love the most. That's what James Smith says in your life. In Philippians 1, 19, it says, Paul prays for them that their love may abound in real knowledge, that they would love the knowledge of God, that their hearts would be consumed, that they would desire it to such a degree that this is the one thing I love more than anything else. Because your minds will be taken over by something. And Paul says that in the Gentile world, which we all formerly lived, the old self, the minds were occupied thinking about the loves of this world in a different perspective. It's a different way of thinking. And that has to change because you have to learn to love something else. It's like falling in love. Falling in love is transformational, isn't it? You, get, you fall in love, and that's all you think about. The flowers come to your desk at the office, and you're just, all you're doing is thinking about it. It's transformational. You date, you get married, you become a different person because now you're connected and related to this other individual, and now you're, you're changing. Everything changes. It's that transformation. But people can't do that kind of change on their own. This kind of transformational change happens because someone or something captures your attention afresh. That's really important. I wish I had more time to explain that. Then everything changes. See, I could go into all, Heidegger talked about angst. And angst is this not getting anywhere feeling in life that we get frustrated, that we're not changing, that we're not going anywhere, that life seems to be feel really meaningless and we're on a hamster wheel. And so what he described is that what we often do is we, we, we try to get out of our angst by doing things that satisfy us. They become addictions and they hurt us. And we live in this cycle, this world of futility, of thinking the thing, the very thing we are doing to get us out of this feeling angst is actually helping us, but it's hurting us. And we have to bring about life change. And science can't explain that. It can't do that. Pe Becky Pepper, I got to tell you this story. Becky Pepper read Out of the Salt Shaker many years ago. She wrote another book called um, uh, Something About Hope. And in this particular, hope has its reasons. And so she, her husband was studying at Harvard. And so she was taking some classes at Harvard, just sitting in, and this, and this professor was talking about um, this case study. A problem came from um, this bad relationship with a mother. And, um, and, and uh, this is why this particular individual has these particular problems, is because of this 
relationship with the mother. And Becky Pippert kind of stopped and asked the question. That's really great, but what's, what's wrong with him now? Like, what's, what's going on now with him? How's he going to get out of this? And the professor says, I don't know. That's another department. If you're looking how to get a new heart, you're looking in the wrong department. See, ultimately, science is not part of oughts. It's, we're, we're talking now about the religious, the spiritual part of our lives. Science, can't, science can tell us why things happen. Philosophers can explain why we feel angst, but they can't tell us how to get out of it. That's what God's Word does. It tells us how, t- and t- this transformational change has to happen. Someone or something has to captivate you and change you. It says here, the futility of your minds were darkened. They now need to be, that you become calloused. Something has to change within to bring you out of that place. And so I want to look at the next, next item. But I first want you to see and understand one thing about this. See what it says there? So you did not learn Christ in this, this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. What's the truth in Jesus? There's the transformational change. It's the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done. The justification by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, an earlier section, Paul alludes to it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a free gift, so that no one can boast. The free gift of life change comes in Christ. Christ makes it possible. So the transformational change that's going to happen in your life happens because what Christ has done on the cross. He's brought newness. It will not happen until you first understand that you've been made right with him in Christ. So that's what Paul's alluding to right in the middle of this passage. It's not happening because you didn't learn Christ. You learned Christ who came into your life who brought you out of death and into life. And now change is possible. That's where we start. Your minds must be made new. That's what God does in you as you now cooperate in this putting off and putting on. So let's look at that. Second of all, it's the examine life. Verse 22, what are we supposed to do? Well, it says it right here. We're to lay aside, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lessons of seed. So we need to lay something aside, which means you've got to examine what it is that you need to lay aside. What is it right now that is destructive in your life? What are the things that you do and are thinking about, your loves, your first priorities, your old way of life that is destructive? It's a self-examination. But let me tell you something about it. And I'm just going to just, just mention it quickly. And this is really important to think about. It's not just, well, I don't like that about me. I don't like about this. I get angry. I have the short fuse. Whatever it is, you may say, well, these are the things I want to change. It's deeper. It's deeper. It's far deeper. It's about a culture in which you have been ingrained into. It's a culture that has influenced your mind. We all come from a culture, a family of origin, a way of thinking. 
And that way of thinking is a culture that's filled with traditions and values and ways of life that have influenced how you live out your life. This is really, really important. And you got to get after that. You got to understand how to align yourself with a new culture, a new, you've got to put off the old culture. Let me ask you a question. When is a thief not a thief? What do you think? When he's not stealing, right? Or she's stealing. No, that's not true at all. That's not good enough. That's just a thief between jobs. They still are a thief because that's the culture in which they were raised or that's the culture in which has influenced their mind, whether it's a gang or a family in origin or a group of people or something that has inspired them. They've lived within a culture, a mindset that this is who I am and this is who I'm always going to be. And what's going to happen is, first of all, we have to identify that culture. We've got to look at that and then begin to see that something's going to change. Let me tell you a story. It's the story of Achan. You know who Achan is? In Joshua chapter 7, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot of time has passed to prepare the people to go into the Israel. 40 years in the desert, the wandering, all sorts of things, right? So this is a long, long process. So what happens? Joshua finally leads the people in, and they overtake Jericho. And then in chapter 7, they move on to Ai, and what happens? Achan, it says in Joshua chapter 7, you got to look at this verse. And in chapter 7, verse 20 and 21, it says that he acted based upon his mind, being captured by the beauty of the things before him. God said, don't take anything. I'm leading you into a land of milk and honey. I'm giving you all you need. I am going to provide everything you need. And yet, what did Achan do? He saw the beauty of the things and wanted those, and it captivated his mind. In, in, in one sense, in the culture of his thinking, the beauty of the thing outweighed the imagination of what God is going to do that's different. And that's what has to change in the life of a Christian. Your imagination. You have to imagine something better. And if you do not imagine something better for your life, you will continue to be drawn into the culture of the old self and the old way of thinking. This is all I get. It's all I want. Because this is all I can do. Because if I don't get this, I'll miss out. And God is leading you into the mil land of milk and honey, and you're wanting the, just the little bit of booty, the, 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 the gold, the shekels, the gold, and the, and the idols. Because you got to hang on to that rather than the bounty of what God is doing in a new existence. What if Achan had, was captured by God and what God had done for him over all these years led them through the Red Sea, through the desert, survived the, the Egyptians, led them out of slavery, through the desert, through the promised land, and the whole land is filled with milk and honey, and he's standing there going, well, I'm just going to take this one little thing. That's what we do. That's the examination that we have to do. I'm still in love with. C.S. Lewis describes in, mere Christi in, in, in Screwtape Letters, 
Great little book. And it's, it's the senior devil talking to the junior devil about how to tempt the patient, which is the Christian, and how to discourage him from loving the enemy, which is God. So it puts the whole Christian life in a different perspective, looking at from the evil that's trying to tempt us to do something that we really shouldn't be doing away from the one who wants to give us the best life. And in this, he says, this is what the enemy does. He brings about disappointment because this is really hard work. It's like, it's like the enchanted child in the nursery listening to stories of the Odyssey and then he finally buckles down to really learn Greek so he can read them in the original language and realizes how difficult and laborious of a thing it really is. This is not easy. You want to read the Odyssey in Greek, you got to buckle down and read the Odyssey, you got to buckle down and learn how to read Greek or get a good translation. And that is a laborious thing. I'm, 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 I've picked up the trumpet. I'm 60 years old. My dad made me take trumpet lessons. I was in trumpet lessons every week. I had to practice every, every day. I had to write down my practice schedule. I was in a band. I was in an orchestra. I was terrible. And uh, I was just following notes. No passion, nothing. I just did it for years and years and years. And then finally got into sports in high school and gave it all up. My dad played the trumpet. My son is an amazing trumpet player. And, uh, but I was just like, uh, it just didn't work. I bring it out once a year and I play one song at Christmas Eve and you all unfortunately have to listen to it. But something has changed within me. I am craving. It's like I, 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 every day I look forward and I've got YouTubes and I'm playing Chris Bodie and, and, and uh, Chet Baker and, and I've found all these great sites and I'm, and I'm playing along phenomenal songs and I'm, I'm, I'm being captivated in, in this new world of learning and now I really want to express the musical part of me that's been kind of held back all these years. I tried to play the guitar, but I don't have any timing. My, my, my teacher fired me. He said, you're so bad, you're, I'm, you're fired. But no, I am hiring you. And, and so you can't keep a beat. I, I'm sick of this. And so I finally think, I feel like I'm back. And, and it's hard work to put it off. It's the aorist tense. You, you do it once. It's, it's the past tense. You put it off. Make the decision. That culture, that way of thinking, the things that have influenced me, the way I think about life has to change. And guess what? you continue then to draw upon something else, the new self. As God does, as you begin to take off and say, that's not part of who I am anymore. St. Augustine had mistresses, and this was one of his struggles in coming to Christianity was the fact that he would have to give up these mistresses. He wasn't married, and he was sleeping with these women, and he knew that in Life, real life change, he would have to stop this behavior and come to Christ and love Christ more than anything else. And he wrote his book, Confessions, and in chapter 8, he describes the whole conversion. And, and in one, whether it's a tradition or whether it's written somewhere, I haven't been able to find it, but it's, it's, 
It's basically St. Augustine walking down the street now as a new Christian, and this woman that he used, that used to be his mistress walks by and says, Augustine, St. Augustine, it's me, it's me, it's me. And he ignores her and keeps walking. But Augustine, it's me. And he finally turns around and says, yes, I know, but it is no longer me. He had to make the decision that his life was going to be different. And he stepped out of a culture, a way of thinking, into a new. And this is what God begins to do. The work of imagining a better world, a better way of thinking, a better life. And so what do we do? We put on the new self. And this is through the renewing of the mind. It's the new self. It's the new man, a new humanity. You're, you're putting the old aside. And you can't just put the old aside without putting something in its place. We all know that. If you want to change a habit, you take one bad habit and you got to put something else in its place. It's like planting roses. you got to take the weeds out first, then you put the roses in, otherwise the weeds are just going to take over. Or if you pull the weeds out, the weeds will come right back, won't they? Unless you change what's going on in the soil. But also, that's kind of... One way of thinking that lasted for a long time. You just, hey, I'm just going to remove that. It's kind of the Victorian way of thinking. That's wrong. Divorce is wrong. And you're a shameful person if you get divorced. So that was the way of thinking about Christianity, that the Christian moral values were simply stop doing things, but not putting anything in its place. It didn't work. So the pendulum swung the other way to this idea that, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. Permissiveness. Let's just put on, put on, put on without taking anything out. And that didn't work because all we did was put on things that ultimately didn't satisfy us. And there's this relationship between putting off the old self, the way of thinking, and now putting on in the renewing of your mind something else. And that is key. And what is that something else? Well, that something else is very, very significant. It's the truth of God. We did not learn Jesus in this way. You learn something. You put on the truth of God, and it presses into your life and reorients you to a new way of living. It's a human being now fully alive to think differently, to evaluate, to judge from kingdom values. You're putting on in the renewing of your mind a new approach to life, the way God wants you to live your life. You don't change your life. You don't like stop being a lawyer or stop being a mother of three or an athlete or whatever, a student. That is who you are. You're in that phase of life where you're a, you're a, you're you own a business or whatever, and you had a culture of way of thinking that's now changed. And now God inspires you with this like treasure chest full of truth that now renews your way of thinking to approach it from a whole nother perspective. That's putting on the new self. And it will not happen without God doing his work in you as you renew your mind. You've got to do the hard work of renewing, of learning, of growing, drawing deep into the, to the culture of God's kingdom. And as you do that, he does the renewing. All oh, my mind's renewed. I'm thinking differently. I'm excited about what I want to do. And I'm doing it for a totally different way. reason. In this passage, it says that um, yeah, in Ephesians here, the renewing of your mind, the new self, 
which is in the likeness of God that has been created. The word create here, kritso, literally means God is doing a new creation in you, which is exactly the opposite of verse 19, which talks about this futility, this mindlessness, aimlessness. And in verse 19, this, this lack of sensibility, this callousness is a lack of sensibility. Your senses aren't clear. You're not thinking correctly. The exact opposite of that is a new creation, a new imagination. Does that make sense? In God's kingdom realm, living out now, whether you're an artist or a lawyer or a mother of three or what, whoever you are, you're beginning to see who you are from a totally different perspective. You've put off and you put on. And then finally, it's all possible because of Ephesians 5. I'm jumping all the way to chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk in wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's a command. It's something you do continually. And it's opposite of drunkenness. Drunkenness, depressant. It's a depressant. Why? Because it, it takes you out of reality. It works against your senses. So what ha alcohol does, the reason why we drink oftentimes is because we want to depress reality. Because reality is really hard. And so we're happy. Because we're not really thinking about reality. So we're happy. And so we love that feeling. And yet the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. He wants to give you the strength. He wants to influence your mind to stimulate you in a whole different way. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It, it brings about this exquisite refinement and control of all aspects of your life. It makes the truth shine in you. It, it lets you see reality more clear. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's why we're to ask for the filling of the Spirit. We desire that as we get renewed in our minds. Colossians 3.16, let the Word of God richly dwell within you. And the same result as Ephesians 5.18 happens is that you're going to sing songs and, and be praising God. There will be a sense of deep joy because the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to bring about a deep interchange, to bring about a joy that you didn't have before, a stimulant as opposed to a depressant that covers reality. We've been living in the wrong culture. We need to step out of that and live in the right culture. And that's what God has called the church to do. I have this amazing quote. I'm out of time. I'm not going to read it. But James Smith basically says it happens in the context of the church. That's why we're a body of believers. Because we need one another to make this happen. It's not going to happen by ourselves. We need each other to encourage each other. And we bring about a culture that values worship of imagining the life that we have in a different way. And then all of a sudden, things begin to change. Father, may we be the people you've called us to be, new creatures in Christ, because we are laying aside the old, putting on the new and we're going to do that every single time we feel like ah we've stepped back in it we've stepped back into an old world thinking 
Father, bring us back. Renew our minds. Even this morning, renew our minds to the imagination of what you can really do. The, the world as milk and honey that you've provided, that you bring all good things for us. You're not trying to depress us. You're not trying to hold things back from us. You don't hate us. You love us, and you've given us all things to enjoy. We know that's true, but in your way, it will find ultimate fulfillment. May we settle on that and live for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to play a little music. Guys, if you could just turn the music on and... and uh, just take some time, and, and the communion is ready for you. Just take the little uh, cup that's there, the little, and uh, tear off the top, and you'll see a wafer and then uh, the juice. And, and remember the fact that when Jesus said, come to the table, he said, come, eat the bread, which represents my flesh. Drink the juice, which represents my blood, in remembrance of me of what Christ has done. We did not learn Christ in this way. He has come to make transformation possible in our lives through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.